Welcome to episode five of the Cover and Move podcast with Chip Perrin. Today, I have the man, the legend, <laughs> Joel Dawson. Hello, uh, everybody. Joel's a Marine Corps veteran. Um, he's a uh, business consultant, uh, motivational speaker, uh, just a man of class, and uh, really happy to have him here today, Joel Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I like being called the man. I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> hey, look, so when I, I first met you a couple of years ago, right. probably about three or four years ago, you were given a speech, uh, kind of a, I guess, a leadership uh, series down at the library in, uh, in Abbeville, Louisiana. Okay. With Ann Falgu. Okay. Part of the economic yep. development deal. Yep. And, yep. uh, at that point, and, and I don't think you, I don't think you even mentioned that you were a Marine write off or anything like that. And, no, I and I, I'm kind of the same way. I don't always lead with that. Right. Right. But it's, it's always awesome when, when you see motivators out there and, and you, uh, you're like, man, that, that dude's got something. What, you know, I'm kind of drawn to this guy. You know, and, you know, it's funny about that. <clears throat> I do remember, see, that was four years ago, four or five, three or four years ago. And I remember seeing you in the audience and I said, that guy's, that's military. Yeah. I said, that's military. I said, either Army or Marines. I was hoping leaning more towards Marines, you know. Hey, it but, is what uh, it yeah. is, man. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the last few podcasts that I've had, um, you know, I had one guy, Army veteran, he uh, killing it in, in the corporate world. Then I had the one with uh, World War II vet. My grandfather told an amazing story. Then, you know, I kind of went back new school with, uh, with actually a guy that was in the same unit as me, but really after I was in. Um, and then the last one had a Vietnam guy. So I'm kind of bringing it back new school. Uh, but, you know, what I really wanted to do is, is have a little more back and forth. You know, I don't want to just be like, Joel. Tell your story. Go. Right, you know? right, right. Well, I'll, I'm glad I'm considered new school. <laughs> oh, you, man, you, you, you got it going on. So, but tell, do tell me about, you know, your early life, just a little bit, you know, kind of how you got to the Marine Corps and then how you got to where you are now. Okay. Um, growing up, I was kind of, I was just your ordinary kid. Nothing special about me at all. Um, you know, I played sports in high school, did pretty well, and I went to college. Really didn't want to go, but it was one of these things that was kind of expected of me. <clears throat> and I will say that I really didn't do well because my I didn't put my all into it, but no effort. And I, I'm not going to say no effort, but I wasn't excited about being there. You talk, I, you're talking to the kid, man. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, just like a few years ago, my whole family worked in the oil field. And... It was, it, this was in 1988, 1988. My dad was unemployed. All of my brothers, I have five brothers, one younger all, and four older. All, everybody was unemployed. So times was really hard. And um, I was going to drop out. And, um, well, I take that back. I had one brother, one brother that was working. And he found out, he, you know, he just gave it a right act. He said, you're not dropping out of no damn school. And he reached in his pocket, and he came out with $600, forget, $635. He said, now, get your ass back to that school. So I went, because I didn't want to get my butt whooped, you know. Right. But I didn't, I didn't even have the money for books, you know. And, you know, when you go from, you know, I was a junior at the time, to go from being a, a, a freshman, sophomore, it gets more expensive. So I said, well, you know, maybe I can kind of wing it. I can, you know, get notes from somebody, you know. And after about a month, like, this is worthless. It's useless, you know. And um, I didn't have money for gas to get there. And it was really weighing on me because I had to ask my mom for money. And she would be sitting on the edge of her bed every day, every day, with $5 and change in her hand. You know, and it became such a burden. And it was for me to go to school, but I just couldn't ask her for it. Right. And I was like, you know, I got to do something else. And I was thinking at that time, this was one morning. 
I had a lot of my friends that were in the military, you know, a uh, few in the Marines, Army, Navy. And I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I can go to, you know, military. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to put that off. But, you know, one part I forgot to mention. So what I tried to do is I tried it for the football team. And this was at Nickel State. And I made the team. Did very well. And one of the things that one of the coaches said was, you know, if you do really good during the spring game, you can win a scholarship. So I said, ha-ha. That's your ticket. That's my ticket. So I did really well. And I worked. So it started in, in 87. I take that back. Late 87. So I worked out, worked out, worked out the whole summer. And then it comes, he says, um, you know, I won't be able to give you a scholarship because at that time they had a scholarship cut. He said, but if you can pay your first year, he said, I promise you'll get one the following year. Anything about it, I knew there were already some players on that team that had paid their own because they were in the same situation. Right. You know, so it, I knew that, you know, they were going to get scholarships first because, you know, it, it was promised to them. And I remember looking at him and said, um, I can't play. He said, what do you mean you can't play? I said, you don't get it. I can't even go to school. You know, so that's when my brother gave me the money and all that kind of stuff. So I'm lying in my bed and I'm getting ready to go to school. And this is in Homa. Are you familiar with Homa? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm passing by the mall and I'm at that red light. If I go straight, I go to Nichols and I look over and there's a recruiter station. Little light shining down, beam from heaven. No, <laughs> yeah, it was the sun because it was hot. <laughs> That's right. It was hot that day, you know. And I look up at the red light, and I look over at the recruiting station. I look straight ahead. Hmm. Look up at the light again. Look straight ahead. And the light turned green. I was the first car. Light turned green, so I just whipped it and went to the recruiter's office. And what my plan was to talk to all of the recruiters and then make a decision. So I pull up in front of the recruiter's office, and just as I pull up, the Marine Corps recruiter, he must have been going to some recruiting event or something because he had posters in his hand, but he was wearing a blessed, the dress blue uniform. That did it. Yep. So as I got out of my car, he said, good morning. He said, is there anything I can help you with? We weren't even in the building. We were outside. I said, yeah, I want to wear one of those. He said, go sit down. So um, I went and I talked to him. <clears throat> I didn't talk to any other recruiter, none at all. And he said, well, when do you want to leave? I said, today, if possible. He said, well, it won't be today. But I didn't get in any type of delayed entry program, which is common where right. you learn all about it. No. Two weeks later from the time I walked in, I touched down in San Diego in boot camp. Really? Yeah, two weeks later. And that's when things changed. Yeah. That's when it changed because – I knew that going in from everything that I heard, you know, the toughest branch to join was the Marine Corps because I had an uncle that was in the Marine Corps during, during Vietnam. That's a totally different story because he basically enlisted when he was 15. And by the time they found out he was too young, he had already been to Vietnam twice. It's just, yeah. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. So um, remember, I had played football, so I was in really good shape. You know, I figured that that's all I need. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. So that was definitely a change for me because it was totally not what I expected. Not at all. I met a lot of people. That particular year, we had a lot of people from Louisiana. I think uh, the most in the country um, that was recruited out of Louisiana um, that particular summer. And uh, so there was a lot of people from Louisiana there. But just that experience, man, everything was cool on the plane. You know, we high-fiving each other and all this kind of stuff, having oh, yeah. a good time. Yeah, man. Everybody's going to get that last little drink in or whatever, and then you realize that, nope, they pull you off the plane. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Me either. So we got off the plane, and I saw the – the. Um, there, I guess he was a he was a, he was a recruiter or, or something. He was just a, a Marine in uniform. Maybe he was just there to pick us up, going to receive it. So he was like, he just started yelling and screaming. I'm thinking, what the fuck's wrong with this dude? You know, I don't know anything about the Marine Corps way. None. So I'm like, well, maybe it's just him. You know, so this dude. Yeah, it's probably just him, right? Yeah, it's just him. <laughs> just him. So, you know, we get on a, an old raggedy school bus, white school bus. And instead of having windows, it had boards, boards on the windows. And he told us. You know, sit down and put your head between your legs. I'm like, man, I can't wait to get away from this dude. I know things are going to get a lot better, right? 
So we left the airport, a lot of twists and turns and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we come to a stop. You can hear the door open. And then he starts giving us instructions to stand on a, on a set of yellow footprints. I'm like, okay, cool. Sounds like I'm in prison, but at least I'm away from this guy. Right. Okay. I get off of that bus and run into like six more that was worse than him, yelling, screaming. I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? You know, so we're standing on these yellow footprints, man, and I can see some people that are like trembling, you know, because they don't know what the hell they got themselves into. And, that, you know, that's we all ask ourselves, what the hell did I just get myself <laughs> yeah, into? Cause what, what did I do? I know, right? Because <laughs> I was like, well, obviously the bus is gone. I can't leave. You know, so we went through it. It was like, I think for everybody, now they bring you there at night, like right. maybe 11, 12, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember thinking there were some other guys there that got their hair cut off and stuff like that. So I'm thinking that's probably next for us. You know, we're going to go home. I mean, we're going to go kind of like check in, get some sleep, and then we'll, no, nope. yeah. <laughs> that's not what happened. They'll be sure to get you that sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. You go, all oh, night. Oh, man, that was all night. And I couldn't believe it. It's like sun came up, and we still just rocking and rolling, rocking and rolling, rocking and rolling. But the one thing I remember that was funny was when we were in the, the receiving barracks, you know, they had us all lined up and all this kind of stuff. And it was funny because it's just like the movie uh, Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. which actually came out while I was in boot camp. That was the movie that we had the opportunity to go see. And, you know, the drill instructors asking people, why did you join my Marine Corps? Why did you join my Marine Corps? You know, and originally my reason for joining the Marine Corps was I wanted to save up some money so I would go back and finish school. Okay, so he asked me, he said, why did you join my Marine Corps? So I told him I wanted to save some money, you know, so I go back and finish college. And this is what he said. He said, nobody gives a shit about you finishing college, boy. Your <laughs> ass belongs to the core. That's right. Your ass belongs to us now. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was May 1st, 1988. Graduated boot camp July 1988. And for I was in administration. So I'm thinking... Well, you know, I, I won't be doing this. Hopefully, I won't. So they said, well, after this, you'll go to your school. Things took a, a big change. I went to, I was at Camp Pendleton. So I went to Del Mar. If you're not familiar with Del Mar, man, let me tell you something. There is not a college campus anywhere on this planet that can compete with Del Mar. Got that right. And here's, did you go to Del Mar? Uh, well, I went to... Uh... When I was going to sea school, uh-huh. I was just up the road. Oh, we man. used to go to Del Mar to PT. Okay. For those folks that don't know, Del Mar is right on the beach. That's why we went there. Not only is it right on the beach, uh, Del Mar is the administration school. Okay. All the women that are in the Marine Corps, guess where their occupation is? Admin. Admin. You got it. So we got a new group of women that came in like every two weeks. Heaven. You hear me? And I said, well, you know what? That Whatever went on back then, that boot camp thing, I'm over with that now. That's behind me. Come on, lady, look, let's party, you know? So I was in school from, um, I think, like August to November, okay? So now we're about to get assigned to where our permanent duty station is going to be. So I'm like, I don't care, man. This is administration. This is what it's like. You know, screw all that other, you know, you know, grunt stuff, shoot them up. I'm done with that. This is my new life. That's right. right. Air conditioning ladies, yeah, baby. You got it. And then all of a sudden he says, Joel, you're going to 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines. I'm like, wait a minute. That's an infantry unit. That's where I went. 2nd <clears throat> Battalion, 5th Marines, the most decorated unit in the Marine Corps. Go up there and guess what? There's not a woman <laughs> within about 15 miles. That's right. None. So here we go back in the same boot camp environment. And I will tell you, man, they are extremely disciplined. They are very proud of their heritage. And they work extremely hard, extremely hard to just. And and, and I guess in hindsight, it's not just 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, just Marines in general. And that was one of the, the, the tangible things I was able to take away from the Marine Corps is professionalism and discipline and just basically not taking any excuses. That's right. Because, yeah, that can cost somebody their life. It really can. It does. You know, and 
one thing that, that we learn is that instant willingness and obedience to all orders, mm-hmm. you know? And so when, when they yell, get on your face, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no lag in time when they say, get on your, I mean, you're already on your face. Okay. Right. And it's because in a combat situation, when they say duck, you got to duck, right. don't ask questions, just duck. You have to do it, you know? And so that you, you have to, you have to respond to that course of leadership mm-hmm. style yep. that most people don't. Right. They, they, they're going to give you every reason why they can't do it mm-hmm. or every reason, you know, to delay it or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and Marines, we just respond immediately. Right. And then maybe ask questions later, but we can listen right. to you first. Right. Because that's the most important thing. Those type of orders are going to come from either someone that's in a hole with you, someone that cares about you, or it's going to come from leadership. Either way, it's in your best interest to do it right then and there. That's right. You know, and as you say, you can ask questions later. And I have been told on a number of occasions that I have a military-style leadership. And I do. But I'd like to explain what that is, okay? When people say, or when they say military-style leadership, what they're really thinking is dictatorship. Right. Okay? And that's not the case. For me... This is what this is this is what military leadership means to me. First and foremost, if you are in charge of leading somebody, you're responsible for them. Okay, you're responsible for training them. You're responsible for making sure that they have everything that they need in order to carry out their job, their task. Okay, and this is in in the private sector because this is the same thing that leaders are taught in the military. Okay, and. It's extremely important that they trust you. It's extremely important that they trust you. But you have to have, you know, their best interest at heart. Okay. It's your responsibility to, to make sure that, as I said, they understand their task at hand fully. If there is a certain action plan, you're there to either develop it with them or, you know, just, just basically give it to them where it's only execution at that point. On the other hand, you know, if, if you are a person, let's say, in, in, that, in that style, it forces you to do two things. Number one is you have to take accountability for your actions. There's no such thing as excuses because, remember, you know, in the military, that can cause, some, that can cause you and somebody else their life. So you have to always work with an extreme sense of urgency, which means that if you have to go to work and your car breaks down, you can't call in and say, well, you know, my car broke down. I won't be it. No, you got to figure out how to get there. Because at the end of the day, you still have to do that. Right. And part of the planning process is to have a backup, right? Exactly. Two is one. One is none. Exactly. You know, we learned that in Marine Corps. Exactly. You know, so with that type of mindset, you know, I've, I've been able to accomplish a lot and I've been very successful because I've been in that situation where things didn't go right, but I understand things that don't always go right. So instead of me looking at a lot of things as a roadblock in my life, you know, I've tried to figure out certain ways around it because at the end of the day, you know, just like, um, <clears throat> you know, just like in the military, at the end of the day, did you accomplish the mission? And it's either yes or no, plain and simple. There's, there's no chance, time for excuses, and not that excuses are a bad thing, because if you were sent out to accomplish something and you didn't do it, you tell them, no, I didn't do it, because now that person has to come up with plan B or the second one. They don't have time to listen to all excuses, and the excuses really doesn't matter, because at the end of the day, you still didn't accomplish it. That's right. So now you have to go to plan B. Yep. Now, so. did, did you have any leaders in the Marine Corps that really stood out or, you know, good or bad? I mean, that, that taught you a lot? That taught me a lot. Um, or I say put you on a path to where you are today, you know, regardless of if they were. I had a co-worker who became one of my best friends, and I'm going to send him this podcast just so he can see how much he actually meant to me. His name was Jeffrey Seymour. I worked with him, became really good friends, and he really taught me professionalism. And he was that person that didn't take any excuses. Either you did it or you didn't. Okay. And as I say, it's not, we, we think of it as a bad thing if we didn't, if we didn't accomplish something, but he allowed me the leeway to say, no, I didn't do this. Okay. So we can come up with plan B, but I never wanted to do that. That's right. I never wanted to do that. But when it comes to professionalism, you know, I was one of these guys, but he was always squared away. Always. 
even when he came from the field, here's a guy that, that saved a set of camis that he's going to wear at home. That were, he roll them up, they will be precious. His boots may have dust on them, but you can tell they will shine. Oh, yeah. That, that's how he was. And he started at the, from the very basics with me when it comes to professionalism. And it came from, you know, the uniform, the boots, the haircut, you know, all of these type of things. And if you notice, most Marines today, you can tell who's a Marine because of their haircut. That's it. You know, even though we've been out of Marine Corps a long time. It's going to be squared away and it's always going to be fresh. Yep. And yep. look, I mean, the, there's there's all these indicators, right? Mm-hmm. And you got guys that, hey, let the beard grow, let the hair mm-hmm. grow, and that's cool, you know? But there will be some indicators. Yeah. You're going to see it somewhere just like, in their life. Just like when I, met, when I saw you for the first time. You know, there were a lot of indicators that 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 showed that that military professionalism but i was able to take that and transfer that into my business life uh, especially when i first came out you know being professionalism is not something that's necessarily taught to you know someone that that's younger say in their younger 20s and you know so i i i, became, I was a manager when i when i first got out i was a retail manager but the thing is i stood out from the other people that they were considering for the position because of professionalism. And it wasn't intentional at that time. It was just me because I had been, you know, groomed that way to be professional, to pay attention to detail, to be very proactive and to not give any excuses. Right. Extreme ownership and accountability. Yep. So, but in, you know, in the big ball of wax to me, that's what military leadership does you know if it forced me to take responsibility and not to give excuses take accountability for for those things that's it and and even some of the um principles like you know the leaders eat last yep or you know lead from the front in Mm -hmm. a combat situation whatever it is right yep when you know the leaders that i had that we go on pt and they were running in the front that was impressive to me you Mm know um the ones that would get out of it because they were the leaders, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, I got admin stuff to do. I got, you know, yeah. I got to take care of this stuff. Mm-hmm. That was BS, you know. Um, I, I've had several guys, too, that, you know, made an impact on me in my career, uh, mm-hmm. you know, senior enlisted and, and on the officer side. Uh, one funny story, you're talking about boot camp and the yellow footprints <laughs> and all that. So they had this, uh, they had this guy, uh, we get out the bus and I mean, he is like a pit bull and he's a smaller guy about my size, mm-hmm. but this dude commanded presence. Okay. Uh, commanded respect. Right. And he was just all over us l- like a coat of paint. And so he's, he's just running around like a pit bull. I mean, just, I was scared of this guy. Okay. And I never should be, <laughs> and I'll never forget him because he's the first person I saw in the Marine Corps. Real drill instructor, you know? Really? Now, you go through receiving, and you got these other receiving drill instructors, and they're tough on you, mm-hmm. but it's nothing like your actual drill instructors that, that take on your platoon. Right. Uh, but I never forgot this guy, and I, I'd see him every now and then. We'd go around the receiving area, mm-hmm. and I'd see him, and he was just, he's a maniac. Yeah. You know, it's, what's funny about that, the whole boot camp thing, I didn't find this out until after. And... It was our, I think it was either our senior drill instructor or our chief drill instructor. Our chief drill instructor was really involved with us. And what he said was the reason that, and and it kind of explained a lot of the yelling and all this kind of stuff, was that he never wanted to send anyone to battle that that was not prepared. And it would be on his hands and his conscience if for some reason you didn't return home because of a lack of his preparation. It is. And they, you know, do you remember what the, what the child hall was like in boot camp? It was chaos. Yeah. It was absolute chaos. Yeah. Whereas I thought that it would be like this disciplined, silent place to eat. Yeah. You know, this is where recruits go to get murdered. <laughs> on a daily basis. So the thing that you're looking forward to so much in a meal, mm-hmm. they ruin it for you. Yeah. And you know what? I never, I never got that part because I thought the same thing too. I thought it was going to be like a Piccadilly cafeteria. No. <laughs> I thought Not it'd be all. silence and discipline and you eat inside. Mm, nope. Mm. Nothing. It was trays being flipped and 
mm-hmm. recruits yelling and drill instructors yep. yelling. And it was just insane. Yeah. And when, when I walked in the first time and, and saw that, I was like, this is, this is hell. Yeah. And then it becomes so normal that it doesn't even phase you in right. a couple of weeks. Right. And it's like, well, a combat situation, that's chaos too. Mm-hmm. And you remain calm. And that's the little things that you do to that they do to prepare you, you right. know? And so kind of going back to my story. So never saw this guy again, uh-huh. uh, go to Afghanistan, did my first, uh, deployment there, came back. we got a new gunny that checks in. Mm-hmm. I'll be damned. It's this dude that took me on, that put me on the yellow footprints, really? took me off the bus. His name's Gunny O'Neill. And, uh-huh. He's coming straight from the drill field. And wow. so we're coming from Afghanistan. We're like, look, dude, easy <laughs> hoss, you know. And no, it's it's inspection first thing Monday morning. Wow. And we're like, hey, 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 we're we're combat guys. You know, we're salty. We don't mm. need all this. And he's like, oh, no, you need it. And he just instilled that discipline back into us that we had lost mm-hmm. in, you know, on deployment. And uh, brought it back and look, ended up being – an amazing friend still is uh-huh. served in my wedding. Really? We ended up deploying, uh, again. So my second time, and it was his probably third or fourth deployment, you know, he had uh-huh. done Mogadishu and I think Iraq. So, uh, he had deployed with us and, you know, we were kind of on the same crew and, and deployed inside of Afghanistan together, you know, different right. task forces. So this guy just played a huge part in my life. Never would have known that the guy that, basically took me off the you know off the bus onto the yellow footprints right is the guy that was gonna you know be one of the guys that that really set me on a path you know in my career and 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 i was lucky i mean he was he's just one of them you know uh gunny landry gunny arnold uh gunny mail i mean all these guys were just awesome leaders and uh and still are man It's, it's amazing yeah I tell you uh, uh, another funny story. The same guy that 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 gave that gave us that speech about, you know, not wanting to have that type of blood on his hands. I wind up going to Operation Desert Storm with him. Really? Yeah. Nice. Um, he was in a different unit. We were on the USS Tripoli. And <clears throat> you know, me and my friend was like, "Wait a minute! I know that guy. He was a he he had he switched over and became a warrant officer." I said, "That that was our, that was my chief drill instructor." And, um, so I went up to him and, you know, had a conversation with him and this is what he said. He said, I feel privileged, honored. He said, and I'm glad that I'm going to battle with somebody that I train. That makes me feel good. Cause he knows he, yeah. he knows you're well-trained. Yeah. And I, 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 I immediately told my friend, I said, okay, it's time to get our shit together. You know? That's yeah. Awesome. So yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Now, how many years did you spend in the Marine Corps? I spent four years. I served from 88 to 92. I came back when we, I got out <coughs> um, after Desert Storm. Okay. I got out. Yeah. Same, yeah. same here. Just did one enlistment. And, yeah. Uh, and out. Well, actually, I, ne- I never planned on getting out. When I, when I joined, after the initial shock of it, you know, I found, I found out who I was. And I liked who I was. It's not that I didn't like who I was before, but I didn't really know. But I didn't know that I didn't know because I was the type of person I always, you know, did things to make people happy. You know, somebody said, well, you ought to do this. Okay, well, you should do that. Okay, that's why I went to college because my mom said, you know, it was almost like she never said, well, you have to go. It's like, well, your next step is this. Right. Okay. But, you know, it was through the Marine Corps that I found out who I was and I liked it. And I didn't give a shit if you liked it or not. And that was the attitude I'd never had before because I was happy doing what I wanted to do. So, but my mom got uh, really sick. So, and I was a mama's boy and she wanted me back. So I I went ahead and got out. So, so what do you do now? Tell us about what, what Joel Dawson does now. (laughs) What I do now is, um, a motivational speaking and sales training, training and coaching. And I, I, I coached before. Actually, I first started uh, coaching when, when I first met you. I got out of it because it's not what I thought it was in the beginning. I thought that I was dealing with people that I just basically had to teach them how to sell. And that wasn't the case. Um, what it boiled down to, I, th- I didn't have the necessary skills 
to be able to take someone that's maybe never sold before or maybe they hit a plateau and get them over that. And that part had nothing to do with sales. It has everything to do, um, you know, with the internal uh, representations that people tell themselves. They give themselves limiting beliefs. Right. When someone says, I can't do this before, I'll say, oh, yeah, sure you could, you know, And, and we all do that. But that's not how you coach someone. So when I learned how to do that, I said, well, oh, okay, now the bells and whistles went off. So my focus now, even though it's sales training, a lot of it is on the psychological side. Or people say, well, I can't, I'm not good at making phone calls or, you know, whatever it is. It's to get them through those barriers first. And then the rest of it is pretty simple. Yeah, babe. And look, best way to get better at phone calls is to make phone calls. Yeah. You got to pick it up. I understand that it. it weighs two thousand pounds on the first one, but I promise you, the second one's going to be fifteen hundred. Oh, and you know, and I, you know, same here. In, in sales, uh, I started off as a technician, and mm-hmm. then you know, moved into sales. Uh, yeah, your story is pretty cool. And then mm-hmm. look, I, you know, I had some good teachers, uh, some great sales guys that I, that I worked with at the time. You know, that kind of led me on the right path. But uh, their philosophy was go out and sell, and you're going to mm-hmm. figure it out. And and you do, yeah. Uh, go make cold calls. Yeah. In in our business, it was really easy to make cold calls, mm-hmm. uh, calling on these service departments for crane companies or whatever. So you can just roll up, and there's gonna be somebody to talk to, right? And you just practice that pitch, mm-hmm. you know, ten, fifteen times a day, whatever it was. That'll do it. And then now I do a different type of sales. It's more business development and larger strategies, you know, right. in a territory. A lot of you know spec work and things like that, but. Those those old school ways of doing sales is still in my brain, you yep. know, and that helps me along. Yes, sure does. So so do you train more individuals or you go and, you know, train people like like so you work for a company and, you know, they'll just contract you to train their people? Is I do. I do both. Um, okay. As a matter of fact, I just wrapped up a training session with a company here in Lafayette while I was training their sales professionals on a, on a four week program that ended last Tuesday. And yeah, normally, um, as I say, it can, it's normally one-on-one or it can be uh, a sales team, <clears throat> you know, either or, but it's normally people that sell face-to-face. It's not marketing because sales and marketing are totally different. They're not even related. Okay. Yep. Um, not phone sales, social media, when you sell a product or a service or an idea, to another person sitting across the table, whether it be in your office, their office. So that, that's what my area of expertise is. How, you know, how to actually do that and get a commitment on the, on that same day. Right. So that's awesome, man. So, uh, when you, when you're working with these people, what's the, what's the most common mistake that people make in sales, you know, and what's, what's the biggest roadblock and how do they overcome it? That's a good question. Um, what today, because of the information that's out there. And this, this goes as far as coaching as well. Because of the information that's out there, um, you have to understand two things. Number one, if a, if, if a person has too much information, they won't make a decision. If they have too much information, they won't make a decision. You know, it's, what's it called? Paralysis by analysis? Yeah. It's the same thing. And... You know, the the buzzword is, you know, we're going to add as adding more value, adding more value, and whether it be bells or whistles or just talking, 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 where you're actually doing yourself a disservice and you're taking away from that person's inability or their ability to actually make a decision. So that's the, the biggest challenge because, you know, what they this is what I get a lot. How do you overcome this objection? How do you overcome that objection and all this kind of stuff? One of the exercises that I do now, I didn't, I didn't do it back then, is I'll ask someone or I'll ask them as a general audience, give me an objection that you've gotten, okay, as a sales professional, okay? So, and of course, I get all of these objections, okay? I said, okay, now give me an objection that you personally, that you have used. Okay, so I have them write all those objections down and then I go to the next slide and I show them every single thing that they just told me is already up here, which means it's nothing new. That's right. It's nothing new at all. So and the reason that I do that is I want them to understand that whole list that your boss gave you or your supervisor say, well, if they say this, say this, say this, say and all that kind of stuff. I said, throw that in the trash because you just said yourself. 
where you tell somebody, I'm going to think about it, you know yourself that you're not thinking about it. You just want to get rid of it. You, so now that you understand that, let me explain to you how that came about. Okay, so one of the things that I should say, the main thing that I focus on is a sales experience, not necessarily a sales presentation or overcoming a, a certain objection because <clears throat> the sales experience starts from the time you meet that person. Okay, whether it be your first contact, whether it be on the phone, whether it be face to face, that's when the sales experience start. Okay, from right there until the time you ask them to buy, that's what that decision is based on. You know, so you as a sales professional, a lot of time they have this perception that everything is going along great and people really going to go home and calculate. Mm -hmm, yeah, I really need to think about this. No. There's a lot of times where you get an objection at the end where they've already made a decision maybe a half hour earlier that they're not going to buy from you. That's right. You know, so depending on what the objection is, I can normally tell them where they got it. You know, what part of the, of your sales experience where that objection came from. And first of all, let's alleviate the I'm not interested. That's not. And, and the reason I say that, because I get that one a lot. That one, I want that one. And I want to think about it. First of all. The I'm not interested, the objection, I said, you should never get that at a close. Never. You should never get that as a close because from the very beginning, I don't care whether it's toilet paper, atomic bombs, it doesn't matter. There's three things that has to happen. Three things that has to be in place in order for any sale to occur. Number one. And two of them you need. One, the consumer needs. Number one, that person has to have a want or a need your product or service they have to have that so if they don't want it th then you shouldn't go any further so you shouldn't get that i'm not interested right okay number two they have to have the ability to pay for it they have to have that okay now on the other hand as a consumer there's only one thing that they need in order to buy from you now with, and especially in today, this is 2018, you know, people can buy pretty much anything online, anything. Okay. But if they're going to buy from you, what's the one thing that they need? Trust. Think about it. Would you do business with somebody that you don't trust? Absolutely not. Okay. So, and just going back to what you were saying, one of the biggest, you know, I guess, uh, the commonalities that I get a lot other than because see, they want to focus on the objection. But I said, hold on, you got to back up. Because first of all, the biggest misconception that you're making right now is you're just assuming that people trust you and they don't think about how many times you've met somebody for the first time you've never seen them before. And you made a determination in a split second that you didn't like them. Right. Yeah. You may not even be talking to them. They may be talking to someone else. You know, and they may say something or do something that really doesn't sit right with you. And then all of a sudden now you're talking to them, but you've already made that decision. Right. That's it. So one of the biggest mistakes that they make is that they automatically assume that people trust them. Here's the thing. If you don't have trust, you don't have a sale. Plain and simple. And this goes back to what I learned from some older people in sales that, of course, they're probably not even alive right now, but it goes back to the old school way of selling. See, everything is kind of like um, they want to they want it microwave now. Quick fix. Here's a liquor checklist. Here's this checklist. If they say this, you say that. If they say this, you say that. No, that's not like, how it works. No, that's not how and it, it works. still doesn't work like that. Now, it's no things are changing, right? It's mm -hmm. it's no longer the this relationship and we're going to, you know, hunt and fish and do all the stuff, although it still happens. Mm -hmm. And you, I do have excellent personal relationships with many of my customers, mm -hmm. but we would have a good relationship anyway. Right. Outside of them being a customer. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what, what so many people want to do today is, you know, they want a fast sales cycle. They, mm -hmm. you know, they want, well, it depends. Do you have a product that lends itself to have a fast sales cycle and low quality of customer relationship or mm -hmm. in my business it's actually high customer relationship and a longer sales cycle because these are just big projects big industrial projects whatever it is right right but like you said if they don't trust me i might as well and even though i i think i'm a trustworthy guy mm -hmm. but if they just got the wrong impression of me for whatever reason exactly 
I got to send somebody else in there because I'm never going to sell that dude. Yep, exactly. And a lot of people today, they, they don't have that mentality or they haven't been introduced to that, that it could be you, but that doesn't mean that the sale is lost because they still have that need. They do. So you, you can, you know, have some, give somebody else the opportunity to that fresh start, to start that relationship all over again. Now, when I sold cars back in the nineties, they call that a teal or turnover where that's basically what happened. This is why trust is so important. Because if you listen to a lot of things that go on where they said, you know, I want to think about it and all, all, all this kind of stuff. If that person really trusts you, you can sell them anything. You know why? Because they will tell you the truth. So when they say, I can't afford this, you know they're telling you the truth. So what you have to do as a sales professional is determine, okay, what can we afford together? You're not going to lose the sale. But if they're just telling you that because they want to get rid of you and you don't know it, you don't know the real reason behind that objection, you know, see that that's the big difference. So for me, yeah, I'm still relationship based. Another reason why not only will they tell you the truth and allow you to sell them, they're going to stay on the line. They're going to stay with you. Yep. I can't af- dude. I can't I can't afford this, man. My budget will only allow this. OK, you still have a sale. Yeah, because then he's giving you feedback. He's giving you an open door. of This is how you get my business. Right. Exactly. But you have to have that trust. Yep. OK. Now, for me, I when let's say an individual or even, even a group, normally an individual, uh, a solo entrepreneur, stuff like this. There's normally a couple of different scenarios that I find myself coaching. Number one is a person has low activity, low production, or they may have high activity, low production. They have high activity, high production. Now, a lot of times people think that's good, but see, that leaves no room for anything else. What I focus on is to teach them how to have Low, pro, um, low activity, high production. And the only way that you can do that is with good relationships and good customer service. And what I mean by that is, you know, a, a referral system where or just making yourself available for other companies or other people to, you know, send their friends or their, you know, coworkers to you. If you never have trust, you never get that, which means you always have to market. There will always be a marketing element to your business, you always have to go out and get new customers. And if you don't have good relationships with them, they're never sending anybody to you. And it's funny you mentioned that because I actually wrote that in my notes to talk to you about, and Mm -hmm. I didn't call it, you know, low activity, high production, whatever, but I, Mm -hmm. these guys that sales guys, especially, but anybody, right. that Mm -hmm. goes out and they're quote unquote working hard, but they're just churning, right? They're out there hustling every day and they're, you know, put a bunch of miles and taking a bunch of people to lunch and doing all this stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, filling a call report or, or yep. whatever it is. Right. And we're talking about sales cause we're both sales right. guys, but, um, but they aren't producers. Right. And you have you guys that kind of got it figured out mm-hmm. and Hey, they might, they might only get on the road and make calls three days a week. Yep. But they're producing. Yep. And I personally, I get in modes where I'm higher production, lower activity mm-hmm. and higher activity, lower production. I mean, I, it's, it ebbs and flows. It's not like I got it all figured out all the time. Right. Everything changes and the whole industry changes and, and you know, my mm-hmm. specific market segment does. So when we, you know, you always have to be evaluating mm-hmm. what you're doing, how effective I'm being, mm-hmm. do they trust me? You have to ask yourself all these questions and right. be honest with yourself. That's the key right there. <laughs> and when I see okay, here's, here's where I'm actually making a mistake here. You know, mm-hmm. here's what I need to improve. Do it, do it. It's mm-hmm. not going to, that, you know, the sales style that I used 10 years ago mm-hmm. doesn't work for me today. Mm-hmm. It, I'm in a different business. Uh, it's a different business environment. Right. So I can't do that. You know, I used to get on the road with almost no plans and no, uh, like no appointments. Mm-hmm. And that worked. Mm-hmm. I get into a place it, the people knew me and right. my customer base knew me and they're like, come anytime. Right. And you know, I walk into their shop and we talk and they give me a list of all the stuff they needed at the time. And it was great, you know? Yeah. And now it's no, we, we have to schedule, you know, meetings with this engineer, at this plant. You can't just walk up to a plant and be like, knock, knock. Right. You know? And I see guys doing that. I see guys just making a, a you know, a run with boudin or sandwiches or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And dropping them off. Hey, and here's my card. Give me a call if you need something. Mm-hmm. That shit don't work. I know. You know, it's it's funny you say that because I have 
this this sales professional in Ohio that um, in the uh, st- uh, steel industry. She sells uh, steel, aluminum, things like that. Big bulk, you know, tonnage. <coughs> and just and new, okay. But you, I don't, I don't know if that's taught, if she's taught, or it's just something that she says. Well, I'm going to do this, and maybe they'll like me, and I'll get their business. But this is a person that has the state of Ohio, Illinois, all these different states, and she does that by car. I was like, but this is what you have to do. I'm not going to say because see the one thing that I don't do is tell them that it's not going to work. You know, because that's their idea. The one thing that I, even though it may not work, you know, I know it's not going to work. You know, it's not going to work. But the one thing that I stress, because the people that I coach, I have a, 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 it's a daily activity report and it tracks everything, everything. And it gives percentages of everything, your phone calls, how many people you scheduled an appointment with, how many people kept those appointments. Did you pre present an offer to these people did you not present an offer to them what did they say what it, it tracks everything so now we can take a look at this and say okay um let's say even even though that you're you're doing good I'm, let's use you for example somebody that's got a ton of experience okay you do very well in sales but just in tendency is there what if if i'm going to get better or if i'm going to you know work on a certain area of my sales um experience which one should i do first I can show you the numbers and say, okay, well, based on these conversion ratios in each and every one of the stages in your sales experience, you can say, aha, I'm going to work on this one, or I'm going to work on this one, whereas I'm going to really, uh, you know, focus on this aspect of it. You see, when it comes to increasing your sales, it's not always at the end where you have to either make the sale or, you know, offer them more services or anything like that. Okay, it can be somewhere else, especially in a place where you're lacking. For example, if for some reason you're scheduling a lot of appointments, but they're not sticking. Right. Okay. And, and, and you know that. And so you don't have to get harder on the back end. You just have to focus on this little segment to make these appointments stick. And by natural, if you make these appointments sticks, you're going to get more presentations. You're going to make more offers and you're going to make more money. Yep. You know. So, um, but what I told, what I told her was this, I said, you know, donuts, they don't have boudin down there. I said, girl, if you can get you some boudin, you'll probably be set. But what I told her was this, I said, look at your sales experience in the way that you do business right now. I said, the way to improve, and you touched on this earlier, is that you have to make a, you have to make a determination with each and every one of them. Am I getting closer or am I stagnant? are getting further behind because you're going to, they already have a, a rep. Okay. They already have one. You're going to try to get that business. Just like you're going to get that business. Somebody's trying to get your business. That's right. Okay. So, you know, first of all, take care of them, make sure nobody gets something from you. So I gave her this advice. I said, you just going there and giving them, she said, well, I want to have, I actually, you know, if something happens, you know, you know, I, I want to be the first one that they think about. I said, <clears throat> here's the thing with that. It's, <clears throat> it's, against human na- it's against human nature to change, okay, which means it's going to take a lot for that particular company to say, you know, we're going to give you a shot. It, <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily work that way. This person would be horrible. He cannot give them service, but he's been doing business with them for 10, 15 years. That's kind of hard to break. Yep. Okay, and you're not going to do it with a box of donuts every month. I said, this is what you do. I said, first of all, you have to come up with a strategy. But what you want to do is this. You want to find out what is it that they're not getting from their current provider. And when I say what are they not getting, I don't necessarily mean in in a product sense. I'm talking about something that's personal to that person that makes that decision. That's right. It could be the relationship side. There it is. This is what she tells me. She says that the... the, um, the person that they have right now is older. He's set in his ways. He's not changing anything. But what they said was, I want somebody that's more creative. And I told I said, you know what? They just told you how to sell them. That's right. They just told you how to sell them. So instead of bringing them boxes of donuts, why don't you go in there and have that creative conversation with them? And you'll notice that your relationship with them is going to change. Yep. Yep. We, and there's, there's so many ways to do it. I mean, yep. I, I went on a, a 
call last week and it was out in Mississippi. It was at a plant mm-hmm. and I knew that there was no imminent need. Uh-huh. Customer told me that there's no imminent need right now. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'll, I'll be there anyway. Right. Guess what? Hmm. There's a need. Ta-da. And then, but just me showing up. So half the, half the battle is just like showing up. Uh-huh. Okay. If they'd have told me, well, there's not much of a need, but you know, this other company's coming in. Um, I was like, okay, I'm still going to go. Right. If I'd have said, all right, well, just give me a call when did you, you need something. Did you know them? No. Okay. Here, here's the thing about that. Remember when I said that, you know, it, it's kind of like people want things in a hurry right now. They want you to need them right then and there. Old school will tell you to do what? Go make that contact anyway. You never know what's going to come of it. Yeah. Right. So, so now, now think about this. All of those people that he can basically sift through. Just by just by that one statement, there's no need right now. Pretty much a lot of most people will say, well, cool, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. But you show that you care about them. So that, see, that's a person that they can trust. And yep. trust is all you need. Because see, then they'll tell you everything. That's it. And once we got around that table, mm-hmm. and there was probably 15 technicians and engineers, and we started telling them we had this. Or, you know, I started telling them I had this and that. And, you know, I noticed that you guys have this brand. And, hey, that's a good brand. Mm-hmm. Um, here's how, you know, here's what we can offer in place of that. Mm-hmm. And then well, here's some other few things that we can do. Right. Uh, you didn't touch on that, but we can do X, Y, and Z. Oh, wow. Well, we're having trouble with X. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not performing right. Uh-huh. Can you take a look at that? And then I ended up going look at their process area and they needed, you know, this other equipment. And all of a sudden I've got, you know, I've got five potential individual opportunities in this one place that they told me we don't have an immediate need. Exactly. Okay. So it's, it's creating the need, right? And it's not, it's, it's not saying, okay, well I'm trying to sell this widget. Mm -hmm. It's I'm trying to sell this solution. Right. Right. To a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I know you, Everybody has this problem. So chances are you have it too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm selling the why instead of the what. Yep. And so that's that's kind of what I try to do. And again, I'm not in that position with every customer. Uh-huh. So when I am when I catch myself selling the what instead uh-huh. of the why, I correct it. But we all have to be honest with ourselves. And this And we're talking about sales. Right. But this is, I mean, you can be an engineer and get something out of this conversation, mm-hmm. a lawyer, a whatever, anything that you're doing, what's the why, right? You know, offer the solution. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're working at a bank and you know, you're having trouble with the way this process is going, mm-hmm. well, don't go to your boss and say, Hey, uh, there's this problem and we need to fix it or you need to fix it. Right. Say, Hey, there's this problem and I have an idea of how we can fix it. Mm-hmm. Can I talk to you about it? How you think right. that's going to be received? Exactly. People pay for solutions. They don't pay for products. They pay for solutions. Yep. And and I always say that I don't. When I work, I don't trade time for money. Mm-hmm. I trade, you know, I trade results for money. Right? I like that. And so that's, and that's in anything, you mm-hmm. know. And if I would ever, you know, start my own business, whatever, I would take those lessons learned and and apply it to that you know and you've already done it. yeah because that's what i do um a lot of people focus on selling product and there's a lot of people that sell products and they make money but when when you deal with people and you're selling a product or a service for me everything is predictable okay if you sell on product i can already tell you if the the objections that you're going to get i already know what they are you know so but when you sell on the solution if you if you had a heart attack and you went to the doctor and you're lying on the table and he says, well, well, Chip, you know, we have this medication. This one has this one. Or we have this brand. No, you just want him to, you just want him to fix you right then right. before you I die. I need a heart partner. Right. I don't need, I don't, I don't care about all that stuff. Right. Yep. No, you just, you just, you're there for the solution. That's it. Plain and simple. That's it. But when, when it comes in, when, when I tell people this, or I ask them to, to reverse Okay, look in the mirror. Now you're the consumer, right? You don't care about that. You just want it fixed, right? You don't want to hear about all, all of this kind of stuff. Because when you do that, you take the value away from it, and now you're selling on price. Yeah. 
wrong. Now, you know what happens when you sell on price. You get beat up on it. And you get beat up, and yeah. then you have either you're going to get beat up on price or you open a door for competition because now this person has a cheaper or this person has one that has more bells and whistles. So all of these type of things, you open up the door just when you focus on 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 selling the product versus selling the solution to the problem that they have. Now, and, do you do you ever, talking about that, do you ever run into situations where a corporate environment mm-hmm. or a company, whatever, they foster an environment to not let their salespeople or workers um, work in this manner, right? So what I mean by that is, mm-hmm. do you ever see the where the, the trouble is actually on the executive level? Yes. Okay. And yes. How, how is that taken? Because here's, here's the thing. When they contact me, this is what they want. They want to increase their bottom line. That's it. You know, they don't really care about the process. They just want to increase their bottom line. So with something like that, once I know what their process is, I mean, even though I see the problem, and, and, and here's the thing, and this, this, this goes back to what I didn't know in the very beginning. I can't tell them what their problem is. I have to ask the questions to get them to figure it out. Right. That, that's what it's all about because, you know, if I keep telling them this, if it's their system and they, let's just say they created it because this person used to sell XYZ a long time ago for somebody else. Okay, they created this system. They know how it works. So for me to tell them that their system doesn't work, the only thing that's going to do is create a barrier. Okay, and anytime you create a barrier in a sales environment, your chances of closing that sale decrease. Okay, so that's where the coaching aspect came in. So I'm, I'm thinking about one in particular, and this is the exact same thing where you know he taught the sales professionals how to sell. He did himself because he was one of these real hands-on type guys, but he taught them how to sell the way that he knew how to sell, okay? So what I did was I, I made sure that I include him. I wanted his input. This is his system. This is his baby, so to speak. But I just started asking questions about different scenarios that didn't challenge his system but caused him to think about his system. And then he was like, you know what? Maybe I need to try this. Or how about, you know, if we do this? So I had to get him involved in the whole process versus me just going in and say, okay, well, this is crap. This doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah, he's just going to put up a block. Exactly. But if you flank him and let it be his idea, Mm -hmm. then he just changes his leadership style to positively affect his sales force or his workforce or whatever it is. Yeah. And and that's basically what happened. And, you know, the good thing about working with, with, with people like that because... He came up with the idea. He made all the changes. I didn't have to do anything. He said, we're going to change it. We're going to start doing this, 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 and this. So, okay. And it worked. Nice. nice. And he paid me for it. And he paid you for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, you know, that's really what what it's all about, man. And, you know, mm-hmm. it starts at leadership. Yeah. And, and being flexible, you know, so we've mm-hmm. kind of learned that through this conversation, right, is you have to. You have to be willing. I mean, we learned at Marine Corps, right? Semper yeah. Gumby. Yeah, always flexible. You got to be flexible, you know, adapt and overcome. And mm-hmm. uh, we all have to do that. And it's not just in sales. Again, you can be a welder right. and you can either weld for 20 bucks an hour or you can be the best damn welder out there and people throwing money at you because they want your results. Right. You know, exactly. It works in everything. Yeah. Well, uh, look, man, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I had fun, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it flew by. So we, we definitely have to do it again. Okay. Uh, I appreciate everything. Uh, simplify and uh, not a problem. Yeah, not go. a problem. I tell you what I'll do. Any if, if there's anybody in sales that's listening right now to this to this podcast, and if you're in the Facebook group, cover and move. First of all, if you're not in that Facebook group, cover and move. Find it. I don't care what you got to do. Google it. Ask, ask your mom on them. Find somebody. Find that Facebook group. Go ahead and join if you know anybody that's ex-military or anybody that's related or affiliated or wants to get involved have them join that facebook group and if you do but here's the thing you have to you have to join it today any sales professionals out there i'll give them a free consultation but you have to join the group today very nice all right and and can you give your uh your website yep it's jdawsonconsulting.com jdawsonconsulting.com just send me an email and in the um 
in the, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send you my calendar. I'll, I'll post it in that book, in the, in the Facebook group, my calendar. So if you're interested in free consultation, all you have to do is just click the time. Nice. All you have to do is click the time. But for those people that are not in the, in the, in the Facebook group, cover and move, join in. You got to join today. All right. It's been fun, man. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it again. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one, brother. Awesome. All right, man. Have a good day. All right, too.